Thanks for listening to the Stimulate Run podcast. If you like what you hear, remember to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. If you would like to get in touch or have future guest suggestions, please make contact via email or slide into DMs on any of the social channels. Here's your host, Erwin, with this episode's guest. Overjoyed, really, to have um, our guest on with us today. Carla Molinaro, welcome to the Stimulate Run podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, as I mentioned just before I hit record, you were on my wish list um, because you've done a race that um, I really love, which is Comrades. But you, there was a bit of interest where you ran from Cape Town to Durban and then finished it off with Comrades, just almost like the cherry on top of the cake. <laughs> um, so ever since then, and not just running it, but you also won a gold medal after doing it. So that well and truly spiked my interest. Um, and you jumped onto the list of the must-have people to interview. So that's one of the things I suppose we'll talk about. But um, we'll also talk about your, let's call it recent Guinness World Record, um, where you ran 1,327 kilometres in 12 days um, across Britain. So congratulations on that before we uh, get stuck into all of it. (laughs) Thank you. But before we get rolling on, um, some of your full ultra running. Do you want to give us an idea of where running started for you? Yeah, I actually I started running when I was at school um, with the like standard go and run around a field a few times. Um, I quite liked it, so I joined like my local running club. Um, did that for a couple of years, and then I went to university. Um, didn't quite fit into the running team there it was a little bit intimidating it was a sports uni and everyone had like a GB vest on and it was a little bit too scary for me so I decided to actually switch and start doing triathlon um so still that running element in there but triathlon was cool um ended up doing that for 10 years racing at um age group level um got to go and do some races around the world which was pretty cool um and then One day, I think it was 2013, I went and did the Glasgow half marathon and I just really enjoyed like no longer having to think, how do I jump on a bike? Where are my shoes? Where's my wetsuit? Where are my goggles? All I had to do was like put on some running shoes. And pretty much since then, I gave up triathlon and started to just run. Um, And yeah, I was starting then with half marathons um, and then just build it started to build it up did a few marathons and then kind of found the love for like running adventures so like chucking a backpack on and going and running around a mountain or I actually came and did um the um great ocean road went and ran across that a couple of years ago um and then started ultra running so now I guess I kind of mix it up a little bit with some running with my backpack on my own adventures and some races, which is fun. I like the mix. <laughs> you must have had some sort of well, talent, let's say, um, or pedigree for triathlons because I think you – did you compete in a few duathlon world champs? Yeah. As well? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Triathlon and, and duathlon. That would have been, well, I suppose, hard to walk away from. Um, but did you almost say, well, I've had enough of this and – Let's just, like you said, just go focus on the one discipline or I kind was of running felt, always you're stronger? Yeah, I was always stronger at running. And I guess with triathlon, I was always at that level, like just below elite. Um, I probably didn't have like the swimming ability to like quite break that. Um, and the same with my bike, like my running was always up there and I could compete against like the best girls running. Um, but I was always just below that line. So for me, it wasn't really difficult running away. I felt like I did everything that I could or that I wanted to within triathlon. Um, so like taking that step to marathons and then stepping up to ultra running, I think that's like pretty much where like my heart lies and what I'm best at. And you you mentioned you went to a sports uni, so you studied sports science at Cardiff University. Yeah, um, that's right. But then you're also a member of the British Army, is that correct? Yeah, not anymore. Yeah. I was <laughs> no. once upon a time. <laughs> and how did, how did that all link in? So 
is this something you always wanted to do was go to the army or, you know, was there family history? So my dad was in the South African army mm-hmm. and he had told me about like Sandhurst and stuff in the UK when I was growing up. And yeah, it was pretty much when I was about 16, 17 at school, I decided that that was like the route that I wanted to take. Um, so went to university and then straight from there, I actually went straight into the army like a, a couple months later. Um, served there for five years. Um, some good times, some bad times, bit of a mix, bit like anything. <laughs> yeah. And then so is that your link with South Africa then? Because you were pretty much living there, uh, let's call it recently. Um, mm. And then you were almost, yeah, you were preparing for comrades and um, two oceans as well. Yeah, yeah. So I was actually, I was born in South Africa. Um, I lived there for 10 years before my family moved overseas to Portugal first, then to the UK. So I've always kind of had that tie and always got told by my dad that I wasn't a real runner until I did comrades. (laughs) Um, So you're like, all right, I've done it now. Um, So yeah, there's always been that draw back to that. And then, yeah, I was living out there for a couple of years. um, And the goal this year was to go and race Oceans and Comrades. But then, as everyone knows, the world imploded. Um, I was probably going to stay out in South Africa for about another year. I really wanted to go and live in Cape Town, but it wasn't to be. So, yeah, came back to the UK in July this year. I love how you didn't just run Comrades. You won a gold medal, but you also ran from... (laughs) one part of South Africa <laughs> to the race and then so you well and truly stuck it to him and said I'm going to do this my way um, <laughs> yeah uh, your history in sports science so I suppose it shows in where you your interest for your sport but you're also very holistic with running so you know you do the strength work um you're also mm. into coaching as well so did you find early on that career-wise you really wanted to expand but then also focus on different disciplines within the sport yeah to be honest it's taken me a little while to kind of really find um like I guess my place within the sport so Mm -hmm. I did a sports science degree and then I was in the army and then I kind of flitted between different jobs I worked on the olympics and the commonwealth games in the planning side um I did some personal training which I had some interesting jobs one doing personal training for a Saudi Arabian princess, which, (laughs) yeah, was a bit (laughs) mental. Um, But I kind of found with personal training that I was kind of, I was spreading myself a bit thin. And I think that's probably why I didn't enjoy it as much when I was doing it. Um, And then this year, I've really got my focus back. Um, You know, over the years, I've built up my qualifications with coaching and yoga and strength and conditioning. And now, Yeah, I pretty much decided this year that I was going to focus on running. And that's, you know, I wanted to coach runners. I wanted to do yoga for runners, strength and conditioning for runners, because I feel like I've built up this experience over so many years. um, And, you know, I think I can kind of add value with things that I've I've learned and tested and adjusted um, along the way. And hopefully I can now share that. with a lot of people so yeah it's been quite a long coaching journey to get to the point where I am now but I think all those little pieces of the puzzle like have added together and I quite like now just focusing on running yep and that's I've got to step back on the Saudi princess those type <laughs> of jobs always seem like they're amazing to the outsider but oh, when you're actually the in the job role ever. it would be <laughs> an absolute nightmare is that <laughs> You, yeah. Like that job taught me that money does not make you happy. Yeah. Like these guys have got so much money. They literally do not like you can't even conceive like how much money they have. And they are so miserable. Um, they just go out and spend money because they've got nothing else to do. And it's it's actually really sad. Um, they you know, they the things that make you happy are finding hobbies and things that you enjoy and having like friends and family that surround you and it doesn't have to be like millions of friends and family you know like one or two close friends like those are the things that really matter and yeah getting an insight into that world where you know this girl she had like little brothers and sisters with where like it's just sad like the mother doesn't even want to 
look at the children they just palm them off on the nanny just because they've got the money to do that and then they don't have to look after them and it's I'm sure all families are not like that but the one that I worked with was um and yeah it was it was really interesting and you're going to like all these ridiculous places like we went to Kuwait and Dubai and Los Angeles and stayed in Beverly Hills which you think oh that's amazing but you're like on your own and you've got no one to talk to and you're just like yeah. sitting around waiting to be summoned for the day <laughs> and it, you because you're exposed to them and the way that they're living it probably really makes you question your job almost and then you, your job satisfaction oh it 100% did that because I was just like after a few weeks I was just like I'm lit I'm actually not doing anything and like a couple of my friends were like oh just sunbathe by the pool and I'm like yeah. that's fun for like a week yeah yeah well <laughs> it's now been three months like it is now boring like and in yeah. Saudi Arabia as a woman you're not allowed to go out of the house by yourself. So you have to go and find a man to chaperone you. You're not allowed to go out for a run because you have to wear an abaya when you leave the house. So, you know, all the things that I did enjoy were then taken away from me. And yeah, where you think it's like glitz and glamour, you're basically just sitting around waiting and you're not stimulating like your brain or doing work or having a challenge. And yeah, it, it quickly became very boring. That's why I, I think, escaped. Like I know <laughs> with my partner when you know she sees some of those customs, she's almost gets you know, for her she gets quite angry about it, about even just how the female is treated. So I dare mm. say being in the inner sanctum, you know, you almost had to get to a point where you had to sanitize yourself from a lot of what was going on. Yeah, you just it, yeah. it's just strange that like I know all cultures are different, but yeah. that you know, some of them are so far removed from what we are used to. Um, and you try and exp- you try and understand it. So, like, one thing, like, the girls there are not allowed to paint their nails. And I'm like, but why? They're like, oh, yeah. because someone told us to. I'm like, who? Like, who's made up this rule? Like, some of them I just couldn't <laughs> understand. <laughs> yeah. It's almost, a, it very much is a, a non-questioning thing, isn't it? It's yeah. Something- a lot of us would find it hard to understand. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That yeah, that's definitely a first that I've um, <laughs> heard. But <laughs> so, in terms of interested in your your all round interest and your education background, do you think that it's made you a better runner? But then your running has also made you a better coach. Um, you learn. There's a lot of running coaches around now, and um, a lot has experience. Um, do you think they both worked hand in hand to make you better? Yeah, definitely. And I think I've kind of, you know, I think it also takes time as an athlete to find a coach that's right for you because all coaches have like different styles and different ways of learning. Um, I've found things that I think work for me and they work for a lot of the athletes um, that I coach, um, but they don't work for everyone. Um, and, you know, I think, having that relate like coach athlete relationship like that's a really important part of like choosing who you want to work with and I think for me I know a, a lot of coaches that haven't been athletes and are actually pull out like amazing results um but I quite like that I can go and like test all the sessions before I give them to someone so I know exactly how they feel I know when they're telling me something about their session, I can I can relate to it because I've done it myself. I do like all the strength and conditioning and the yoga sessions every single week with everyone. Um, so I feel like I'm part of that journey and I can understand what they're going through and how they're feeling um, a little bit more, which is important for me. So I'm not just like making random stuff up when I tell them yeah. <laughs> to go and run for like eight hours. They're like, why? <laughs> Like, don't worry, I did it last week. <laughs> and in terms of being coached, so I'm not sure, are you coached at the moment or do you think that you hold the characteristics in yourself that you need as a coach? So, um, or do you rather have hand that off to somebody else? Yeah, so I, I used to have a coach um, and I actually really enjoyed having a coach because where I'm programming stuff for other people all the time, it's quite nice to... Um, 
you know, give that to someone else to do. But I decided earlier this year that I was going to uh, like fully coach myself, kind of like from what I was saying earlier, like I wanted to test all the sessions. I wanted to experiment with my training a little bit at the moment. I've got a big race in a couple of weeks. So um, there's some things that I wanted to try and I just wanted to get on and try them on my own. So I've actually, I have enjoyed coaching myself at the moment, but you know, maybe in the future I might go, I might go back to a coach. I'm not adverse to that. And I think sometimes as a coach, it's nice having a coach because you also learn different things along the way that you hadn't thought of or stuff like that. Yeah, it is pretty interesting. And I think you've a lot of rec runners, I think could almost get more of a benefit of having a coach. Um, mm. And a lot of them question it. Um, even in conversations I have, and they go, oh, why would you need one? You know, running is free and pure. And I think if you've got a coach, they should still have that anyway, um, where it's still pure, but it gives mm. you such guidance and accountability. Um, yeah. And even if you self-coach, because that's what I'm currently doing at the moment, and I find that, like you said, you have to trial so many workouts and it's such a good way to learn about yourself, the athlete. Yeah. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Um, and I think, you know, there there are a lot of free programs out there. Um, mm. and there's some some great like generic things, but I think the benefit of like having a coach is they've got that oversight on you. And if something's not quite working, they can you can normally see how to tweak things. You can make things fit in with your life a little bit better. Um, you know, even if it's little things like injury and illness, they know how to like generally like back off or increase or you know just make it a bit more tailored towards you um which I think is like the real benefit and just having someone to like bounce stuff off like why is my shin hurting yeah. <laughs> like because you did 20 hill reps yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> or justify a day off you know exactly. you, you see so much on Strava where people just grinding away and it's almost inevitable where you know that in a month or even a couple of weeks mm. they're just going to disappear yeah. because you can almost tell that they're, they're chasing this um, like public acknowledgement really because it's on a platform. Yeah. Yeah, you see that all the time. Um, I actually just did a post like a second ago because last night I was up till 3 a.m. working and trying to fix my computer and then I woke up today and I've had like a m really busy day and I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to bin my running session today. Like, there's no point doing it. I'm shattered. I'm going to move it around. And, you know, I think sometimes people don't like give themselves a break and like let themselves do that where it's like, yeah. if you haven't slept all night, like there's no point going running. It's going to be shit. You probably, you might fall in a hole and go over your ankle and then it's going to be rubbish. <laughs> and then you can't run for a week and you're going to be miserable. Exactly. Because yeah. we hate missing one run, so let alone missing seven. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, what are the what are some of the best things running has taught you, and how does it help you in daily life? Oh, I think the biggest thing that running has given me is like meeting new people, and like I've moved and lived in lots of different places, and whenever I go somewhere new, I go and find out the local running club, and it's just such a like runners are just like chilled, and you know generally 99% of them like want to have a chat they want to go for a run um and for me that's like such a nice part of running and like one of the biggest things that it's given me is that all these different friendships like all over the world that you have something in common with even things on like social media like you've never met these people but you have like this common interest um mm. that just like makes you connect with other people which i think is quite quite special and i think you've because you've been to so many different places you've probably got such an interesting take on it like you know you went you lived in south africa where running is like people don't understand it's almost a bit of a holy grail setup isn't it, it and is then insane <laughs> <laughs> and then now where you are to people it has different expectations as well um like one of my learnings from 2020 was some people run from six or seven running's over some people run yeah. from six to seven but then they can want to talk about running all day yeah. um, and everybody is so different but cultures in different countries as well um uh, how 
how was that? I suppose, how did you have to adjust to that? Like going to South Africa where there's a running club on every corner and then maybe um, going back home where, yeah, maybe running is very good recreationally, but, you know, it's still maybe fifth in line behind a lot of other sports. How does how do you adjust to that when you're also trying to make a, a career out of it? Yeah, I found running in South Africa strange. Like I knew running was big, um, but not until living there. And I knew Comrades was big. I didn't realise, like, how big and, like, mm. how obsessed, but, like, in a good way. Like, people are, like, the focus for, like, most of the runners in South Africa is to do Comrades. Yeah. They train all year for it. You go and have, like, a barbecue at someone's house and they're like, what, what are, you, are you training for Comrades? What colour medal are you going for? You're like, um, all right, hi, I'm Carla. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's crazy like I was like meeting all these people and that is off the bat like are you training for comrades how's your training for comrades going are you doing your long runs um and the marathon culture in South Africa is crazy where the guys will do a marathon every single weekend and you could go and find where I was living in Johannesburg I could go and find a marathon on a Saturday and a Sunday from like September through to May every weekend and you'd get about 5,000 people turning up Every weekend. Yeah, and like, it's cheap too. That's yeah, the other, you know, so very cheap. affordable where you, I don't know about you guys, but over here, marathons are very expensive. So it's mm. not, you know, people would plan them or we have one every four to six months as well. Yeah, like in the UK, it's almost a luxury. You know, you have your one, maybe two marathons a year and, and that's it, where South Africa, you can go and incorporate them in your long runs every week and it costs you like a couple of pounds. Like it's, it is, it is funny, but I do, in a way, I prefer being in the UK and coaching here where there's so much more variation in what everyone's doing. So mm. I've got people that like want to do day-to-day, multi-day challenges, um, that want to do um, marathons, half marathons, 10Ks. And it's quite nice because there's a variety um, yeah. where I do find in South Africa, like, it is that focus. It's comrades. Yeah, I I was about to say even, you know, it would be very hard to go to South Africa and say you're a running coach because I think people would say, well, I go to a club and there's a program. And yeah. so to justify that, and like you said, it's, it's really, it's ultras are so big that if you're saying, well, I want to go to a 10K, people automatically say, oh, but when are you going to do Two Oceans? Or when are you going to do Comrades? <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, there's, and that's something that I suppose doesn't really maybe happen in other countries where you have people sitting at 5K distance for five years and then go to 10K. And it's probably the, really the right way to do it. Um, and like you said, being a coach makes it more opportunities for you as well and more interesting. Yeah, and I think that pressure is not necessarily a good thing. Like, I was coaching a girl in South Africa who had just come back from surgery on her feet. Um, And automatically, she's like, this was in November last year. Okay, I need to get ready for comrades. And I'm like, you've just had major, like, you've had your feet cut open. She's like, yeah, but everyone else in my club is training for comrades. And I'm like, yeah, but you can't. Like, you need to be realistic. Like, you've we can see how far we can get you but there is just that constant pressure there of jumping to an ultra without that without that progression and you see it with like young people as well like at like 1920 doing like a 90k race and you're like I don't personally think that's the right way to do it um but you know that's that's what you do there (laughs) yeah well let's jump to ultras then because I um, I did hear, and you mentioned it earlier as well, where you said that um, you're an adventure runner. So when did, I suppose, you went from triathlons into a half marathon, enjoyed running, and when did it go from, okay, well, I'm not going to chase some fast times and fast races. I really just want to go out and do some crazy long stuff. So I'd heard about um, Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, um, mm-hmm. UTMB. Um, and I looked at it and I was like, looking at it at that time, I was only running marathons and it was like so far, like 
away from what I was capable of. I was like, this is ridiculous. And then one of my friends had told me that he had gone and done it with his wife, like over a few days. And I was like, oh, that sounds fun. So I just started planning um, to put a backpack on, chuckle my stuff in it, kind of did a bit of research and found a thing called fast packing where you carry all your own stuff um saw the tour of Mont Blanc you know it's it's a very well-known route you get about 10,000 people going and doing it every day so I was like okay um other people do it so if I get lost it'll be all right someone will find me um and they have in like that area because the route goes through France um Italy and Switzerland they have this refuge set up where there's somewhere to stay every night. You have a good meal. There's a shower. And because I didn't want to kind of go like the extreme route of like sleeping in a bush. And, like I like good food and mm-hmm. a bed. <laughs> um, so I found this route and I went out to France and I divided the route like at 160 miles by four and went out and did it in four days. And that was my first experience of doing something like this and oh, it was just amazing it was it was so much fun when you've got nothing else to do all day except for run um it's quite freeing um you don't have to think about anything else you can sit on a rock and eat your sandwich the weather was amazing um you go to dinner in these refuges at night and you sit next to other people who are hiking the route and you get chatting to them and hear their story and what they're up to and yeah that was my first insight into it and then from there I just kept on finding more little adventures like that that I wanted to do and is that where you said okay ultras is the thing because like you've done world 100k once or a couple of times yeah once okay so was that where you said okay well I'm gonna be an ultra runner um and instead of let's say being an adventure ultra you still you took it pretty seriously and you were still good at it so mm. is that where you said okay this is where I'm going now is I'm, I'm an ultra runner yeah it was almost by accident because it was after we did the Cape Town to Comrades run and I did quite well at Comrades then British Athletics messaged me going we want to consider you for the 100k team are you interested? I was like, uh, yes. <laughs> like, this is crazy. Um, they were like, okay, if you are, you need to get us all this information by eight o'clock at night. Tonight, at that point, it's like 6pm and I've got no computer or internet. I was like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> um, so yeah, kind of got into that by accident. And yeah, it was at that point that I was like, oh, okay, maybe I am like, a like I'd always been a good club runner um you know like I could compete like at the London Marathon we have like a club championships section um but yeah I don't think it was until then that I was like oh maybe I could actually be like a proper ultra runner um (laughs) and yeah from there I then started to like I'd always taken running seriously because I always train hard I like doing that but I guess I kind of took it up a level um after that and yeah tried to see what more I could do I was hoping to go to the 100k world champs again last year but obviously it was cancelled so have to wait till next year year. for my next chance (laughs) so you mentioned this Cape Town to Durban run Um, Mm. and when I first saw it I thought these people are nuts because I know some people ride their bikes um, as part of a challenge and then run um, comrades but where did the idea to run from Cape Town from it was this guy called dave um chamberlain who decided that he wanted to see if he could do 20 comrades in 20 days and on the 20th day um do the race um and i'd got in contact with dave about some like multi-day adventure advice and then he was like oh what are you doing in may i was like nothing why he's like do you want to do this i was like yeah right i didn't really think anything more of it um hadn't really trained for it Um, I was run commuting to work and he somehow managed to trick five of us um, into rocking up in Cape Town with him 20 days before comrades and then attempting to run 90 kilometers a day. Um, That was like the furthest thing I'd ever done like this before, Um, like 
on this level. I've done smaller ones. Um, it turns out none of us could actually do what we what the initial goal was. We by day six, everyone was broken. Um, I ended up tearing my quad, um, which was really nice. Um, and we all got this like weird shin thing from the camber of the roads. The camber of the roads in South Africa is quite bad. Um, so we got these like indents in our shins, which was disgusting. Um, so it got to a point where like day five, I think I got five days in of 90 Ks, um, and then tried to go out the next day after I'd hurt my quad and I like got 10 K and I was like, okay, I can't do anything but found this physio and I was like to her, right, we need to keep on running. <laughs> what have you got? <laughs> so she's like, okay, I've got this tens machine. I've got some tape. I've got this gel. I'm like, oh yeah, I have it all. Um, so we were just trying to patch ourselves together and then everyone kind of changed their goals a bit. So my parents were coming out from the UK to watch me, um, do comrades. So I was like, okay, I need to get to the start line. So I'll try and see, how far I can run in the next 15 days, but I really want to get to the start line. So I ended up doing 900 kilometers in the 20 days. Um, a couple of the guys did a little bit further, a couple did a little bit shorter, but it was a, a interesting learning experience. <laughs> wow. And then you're standing here, comrades. Surely in your head you must be going, oh, boy, I've either cooked this or I could pull something out of the hat. Yeah, so my taper for comrades, like the Sunday before, I did 60K. Then the Monday, I did 50. Tuesday, 40, 30, 20, 10. So I'd done all these big runs. I'd got to the expo at comrades the day before, and I opened my pack, and they'd given me, like, a bracelet that says, like, elite athlete. I was like, this is hilarious. (laughs) Like, I can hardly walk. Like, my legs are, like, battered. I was like, this is so funny. Um, But I was like, I had absolutely nothing to lose. So I got put on like the very front start line, um, which is a bit intimidating, a little bit scary with everyone, like 20,000 people standing behind you. And I just didn't even look at my watch. I was like, I'm just going to run. So I just ran like as hard as I could. I had no idea like what place I was, what time I was doing. And it was like I turned into the stadium at the end and this guy hands me a rose. I was like, no way like (laughs) did you get given a rose if you're in the top 10 and then I saw the clock was 650 and I was like how have I done that (laughs) like I had no idea (laughs) um so yeah it was it was quite a quite a nice experience and then people part of the team because you were running for Ned Bank am I right uh no that race I was on my own okay so do you think that people would have been like this lady's crazy like, does she really understand what she's done here? And like, and then to see that result at the end would have just well and truly, you, let's say, redesigned the way things are supposed to happen. Yeah, it was funny because you get, you finish the race and you get taken straight to drug testing. So I got taken to drug testing and a couple of the other girls are like looking at me like, and I could hear them <laughs> saying like, who's this girl she's in cities? Yeah. Like, <laughs> who is she in her own clothes? Like, not in... Because in South Africa, most of the girls that come in the top 10 are part of one of the teams, like Ned Bank. Yeah, like you well, yeah, I thought, that's why I thought you ran for a team. Because I yeah. Thought, yeah. yeah, I did afterwards, but not then. Um, so, yeah, they were like, are, are you lost? Are you all right? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to be here. <laughs> but, like, I had no idea. So you're, like, in drug testing and they're like, we need your passport. Where is it? I'm like, I have no idea. It's in some <laughs> car, in a car park. <laughs> like, so now it's like, starting to get really sketchy for everyone hanging yeah, around. Exactly. So I had to like, and you've got no you've got no way to like contact anyone. So luckily we had some guys actually from Australia filming us. So we found one of them. He passed a message to someone else to go and find my ID in a car and like the boot of a vehicle like two kilometers away. And <laughs> yeah, it was quite a interesting experience. <laughs> but it, like. Just the way you're in talking about it and like your social media, you sound like the type of person who you just give everything a go. If it, you know, even if it's not going to work out, like, have you, do you have this motto or unofficial motto in life where it's just everything's worth giving a go once in life yeah. because it's about experience? Yeah, 100%. And I like, you know, I like being able to do that. And I think it's fun to like mix things up and, and try 
different races and different events and for me that's what keeps it fun yeah and I think you you're very much almost like a I'll call you an everyday runner but you've also you promote eating and enjoying food enjoying experience um Mm. whereas it feels like a lot of let's say other elite runners almost shelter that from even their profiles and their social media um, profiles. But you very much, um, you really show that side to show the balance and the importance of balance as well. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, um, you know, eating disorders in different ways, shapes and forms, like happen in running. Um, For me, I've been lucky enough that it's never an issue. Like I've had coaches before and it's why they are no longer my coach who have told me that if I was thinner I would run faster and that I need to stop eating cake and you know okay if I didn't eat cake I might run a little bit faster but I'd be miserable so I'm like you know I enjoy eating food um I like eating cake um and I don't think it should be made like a bad thing and I don't think like I hate it when people are like oh I've got like my cheat day where I can eat what I want I'm like just eat a balanced diet like cook nice food eat loads of veggies eat some cake don't like beat yourself up about it because as well when you're running you know for ultra runners if you're running 100k a week or 200k's a week like you really don't need to worry about what you're eating as long as you've got enough energy to actually go and run and recover properly and yeah yeah, I don't really like the let's not eat let's starve ourselves because it you know 99% of the time it backfires and you end up getting stress fractures and getting sick because of it and it's not fun I'm not sure if you know uh, Yoesha Zakruski yep no idea um, how to say her name either. <laughs> yeah, the last name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we had her on previously for a chat and um yeah, she would she'd always say, Well, I could any runner I deserve my cake, you know, and mm. um she's a big advocate for it and just living that balanced life and it's almost the people that try and hide it that are really the struggle is more so there. Um yeah. and it's just you know, don't be ashamed to well and truly have that balance in life because it's going to prolong your running enjoyment as well exactly and it's like that's why we do it for fun so you know you don't need to make your life difficult and make it not fun by not doing things that you enjoy and actually joe and i went and she ended up flying through south africa i don't know where she was going but we managed to meet up at the airport for a piece of cake which was quite nice <laughs> well, she's currently living in sydney now so as you said oh, no. she's able to get over here well uh, we'll definitely go for some coffees and some cake and have a good chat so still yeah. looking forward to that once borders open then we can uh, sit down and have a good face-to-face chat yeah, that'll be nice so now let's get on to uh, another crazy accomplishment and i think this is this is the most recent one so uh, you ran across Britain, so as I mentioned before, um, so you ran from Lands End to John Grotz. Have I pronounced John that correctly? Grotes. John O'Groats, sorry. Yeah. Um, so a thousand three hundred and twenty-seven kilometers in twelve yeah. days, thirty minutes, and fourteen seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now most people, I would, you know, I could want to run 50Ks and I'd want to plan this a year out or two years out, a bucket list item. Where, when did you start planning this? Because I think this will surprise people. In March this year. <laughs> as the and world you ran it when? Lockdown, in July. <laughs> yeah. So was it, <laughs> you struck me as a type of person, I'm one of these people where I'm driving and I go, oh, that looks like a decent road to run on. Or, oh, that'd be a nice, you know, I could pop out there one weekend to run nice races. Are you one of those people? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you I, see a I hill and so. you're like, yeah. I could run up that. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought somebody who only leaves it a couple of months to go and run that kind of distance must be one of those people. <laughs> um, so this is always, I'm sure, being in the back of your head somewhere. I'd read a book by a lady called Mimi Anderson who had done it. So I'd read this book about, 
four or five years ago and I can remember reading it thinking like this woman is like batshit crazy like why would you do this like it sounds awful but I guess it kind of planted a seed somewhere and I hadn't really thought of it again until lockdown happened and then I was like right got nothing else to do I need I need to find something to keep me entertained over the next few months (laughs) but you also I suppose you really jumped into you did Let's start again. You you put your head down to continue, whereas I think a lot of people, as soon as lockdown happened, regardless of the level of runner, were like, okay, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to take a break. You know, you did the lockdown challenges. You ran in the backyard. Mm. Um, and it wasn't just 2Ks. Like, you put some serious mileage in, in the back in the backyard. Um, so I, it shows that you had that mental toughness. But you also, you had your your will and you wanted to do this, right, early on. Yeah. Yeah. The thing was like, I'd been training so hard for comrades and oceans and I knew I was really fit. Um, But I'd been racing for a team called Mass Mart, which was a South African ladies ultra team. And we were like contracted to do certain races in the year. And then all of a sudden I was like, I no longer have to do any of them, but I'm really fit. Um, And I didn't want that to kind of go to waste. So I was like, Mm -hmm. I might as well like ride this wave and see what I can do with it and I didn't think I'd have the opportunity until much later in the year to go on like a a multi-day like running project Um, and all of a sudden I was like oh I could if I can make this happen then I can do it this summer and but the part that intrigued me is the planning so Mm. again if we for a marathon we know we plan that we might go run the course or we watch it on TV so we know where different points are. Mm. How on earth, because the person that <laughs> you're trying to break this record off, you know, you could spend time with them, but how do you plan this? And it's not like, again, you had a year. So how do you sit down and go, okay, this is what we need to do. This is when we're doing it. Yeah, it's funny. So I started to get in touch like So decided I was running up and down my driveway and I was like, because in South Africa, we weren't allowed to leave our houses at all during the first five weeks of lockdown. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do Le Jog. So I got in contact with a couple of people who had done it before, Mimi Anderson being one, Sharon Gator being another. And they were all like, yep, you need a couple of years to plan for this (laughs) because you need to recce the route, um, check what you're doing. That's what they did. And I was like, okay, cool. And then after a day, I was like, nah. I'll do it now. Um, and <laughs> thought, luckily, you know, I my job in the army had been in operations and logistics. Um, I did a job after the army where I was like head of ops for an ad agency in London. Um, so like planning and organizing and stuff, I kind of, I knew how to do it. Um, yeah. And I just basically made a plan. Like some things were a little bit trickier like for one the borders were closed in South Africa and I needed to get back to the UK so that was number one of my challenge Um, and then when I got to the UK like all the different countries were locked down I had to submit um, applications to Guinness which took 12 weeks and my planning I started planning 13 weeks away so that was a bit stressful near the end So I had to kind of decide where some things had to give and some things I could crack on. So like wrecking the route, A, I couldn't do it because the country at that point was locked down. Um, So that was one thing I was like, well, I'll just have to like freestyle. And I've plotted a route. Hopefully it works. Um, And just had to kind of like almost prioritize everything that I had to do and decide almost, okay, right, this has to be done this doesn't have to be done. This would be good if it could be done, but it's not urgent. And so kind of planned it. And then, you know, as everything was locked down, I had no work. Um, No one really knew what was happening at the moment. So I pretty much had like every day, all day, every day to start cracking on and working on this little project. And then the people you selected, so I think it was Dave, am I right? He mentioned yeah. you hadn't spoken to him really for 10 years. <laughs> Scouse. Um, he likes so, to exaggerate. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but how do you, 
how do you select? I know that your sister was one of the people that helped you out, but how did you select the people um, that you had around you for it? So, yeah, it was Dave and Scouse and Mark. I'd been in the army with those guys. Um, I knew that they were all um, like retired from the army um, and probably had the free time to be able to help me. So that's kind of why I approached them and they were all like, yep didn't have anything else planned, didn't have any other commitments, so they jumped on board. Um, my sister, luckily, she's a teacher, but I'd planned it so it was during school holidays, so she could, she had to take like one extra day from school, but her head teacher gave her an extra day. Um, and my, I then got like a friend um, who was a doctor, he was just going to give me advice to begin with, but then once we started, he got FOMO and decided to come along anyway. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and then I needed another person. So put a bit of a shout out out. I couldn't find someone for the whole thing. So my brother and then a couple of friends like rotated through, yeah. um, my brother started the trip and then again, he got FOMO and ended up hiring a camper van and coming up to Scotland for the last five days. <laughs> so you just like, I'm like, why are you back? He's like, yeah, oh, I needed to be here. I was like, Couldn't okay, <laughs> it was quite cool. Um, so, yeah, I was probably, you know, that was a, almost like a benefit of, like, no one being able to go to work um, and not having any commitments. They couldn't, you know, Dave would normally probably be out in Lanzarote. Um, he does some coaching and stuff out there. But because no one had these commitments anymore, I could trick them into helping me. <laughs> um, and I think everyone just wanted something to do. Um, so it yep. was actually I actually ended up getting like so many people asking in the end if they could help um, because there was nothing else going on. And I think a lot of people were just like, oh, God, like, let me give me something else to do where I don't have to talk about COVID for two <laughs> weeks. <laughs> and did you just leave because it probably got to the point where you you just had to run and you had to mm. focus on running. So was it a hard? But then did you just leave things to them? So where you went, I've just got to run. You figure out where we're stopping to sleep. Or I don't know if you would have had that broken up, but yeah. the actual spot where we would have stopped and, you know, the food. Did you just have to let go of those things where previously you were more in control in other races? Um, so a bit of both. So I planned the route. So I knew like the route was all done. And um, there was a couple of points where actually like people that lived in that area got in touch to say they looked at our tracking map and were like, where you're going is actually now a dead end, but we'll come and show you round. So I knew the route was pretty solid. Um, it was downloaded onto like our Garmin um, bike computer. So we didn't have to worry about that. Food, I had made like a plan for what we were going to be eating each day it kind of ended up changing and yeah I was like yeah just do do what you want as long as I get food I don't I don't really <laughs> mind how we do that um we did have a camper van but it ended up being so uncomfortable to sleep in that we then said uh one of this this one guy um from nbf alpine adventures said okay i want to sponsor you somewhere to sleep every night i'm like oh, you absolute legend yeah. so we then said if there was a hotel or a bed and breakfast within 15 minutes of a finish um we would go and stay there um and that pretty much was for the rest of the trip so that was like my own criteria that i didn't want to waste more time than that driving somewhere to sleep so yeah. if there wasn't somewhere within 15 minutes we would sleep in the van um and yeah, pretty much the guys like all did it themselves. Um, I did try and tell them like how hard it was going to be and that like crewing someone is like a ridiculously hard job. They're Harder up than before running. me. Yeah, it, it like yeah. they're continually on the ball. They're up before I am. They're going to bed after I am. They're speaking to people all day that want to come and join in and run. Um, they're trying to find food and petrol. Like it's ridiculous. Um, and I made them actually like a, um, uh, what's it called? Like a rotor. And they're like, nah, we'll be fine. And then about halfway through, I was like, I could see that they were all tired. I was like, you need to start like taking rest guys. Like, yeah. I was like, I don't have the ability to plan this for you, but between you, you need to all take like an afternoon off, um, which then they started to do. And I think that's one thing that I missed out 
with the planning was that it would have been really good to get everyone together for a weekend, like a test mm-hmm. weekend, um, but we just couldn't. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely something I would do differently if I did it again. It was amazing because they were so had to be so switched on because I noticed that they were even almost directing you where to run. Mm. Um, you know, if a car was coming, then somebody yep. would shout, you know, step left or step. And yeah. that that took the the energy away from you having to do that, I suppose. But, you know, if one of them zoned out for 20 minutes and you started drifting, that that's carnage for everyone concerned. Um, yeah. So for that person who's almost on watch, they really can't, they have to be on watch. Yeah. And that's like, you know, like what was hard was like, because my sister was there, she didn't want to leave me alone because she could see, you know, I think when you've got like that emotional attachment to someone as well, she was like, no, I can't leave you. And I'm like, someone needs to get her to a hotel room to get her to sleep because she was then like crying, but only because she was so tired. Um, And then one of the guys is like, oh, she won't go. I'm like, put her in a car and drive her there. Like, I don't want to see her for the rest of the day. And then I think after that, she was like, okay, yeah, I now feel better. I now know what I'm doing again. You're like, okay. (laughs) Ultra runners, or ultra running, almost requires a certain level of disregard for your body. Um, Mm. With your support crew, was there a time before this all happened where you said to them, these are indicators that you need to say enough is enough? Or, you know, they still left it up to you. Like who was, if they got to the point where somebody had to make a call year, did you give them the license to do so? No. no. <laughs> we never yeah. had that chat. Or they knew, who you, <laughs> they knew the type of personality they were dealing with as well. Yeah. To be honest, like I knew it was going to hurt. Um, I didn't realise it was going to hurt as much as it did. Like I was in a world of pain. Um, but it was funny, like about halfway through one of the girls, the support girls like Alicia was like I think you need to stop I was like for a break for like 12 hours I'm like why she's like because you're in pain I'm like yeah (laughs) and your point she's like but aren't you so I'm like trust me at this point stopping for 12 hours is going to make absolutely no difference like (laughs) the only way to get rid of this pain is to stop for two weeks so I was like no I'm not adding 12 hours onto this trip like and for me in my head I'm sure if it got to the point where I was delirious and didn't know what I was doing, they probably would have stopped me. But I never had that. Like I was never, well, as far as I'm aware, I was never hallucinating or, (laughs) you know, doing anything dangerous. Yeah, I think and mental strength is a term that gets thrown around a lot, uh, especially in running. Um, And look, you, you do need that level of fortitude, but you know, even for a 5K, someone who gets off the couch. But I think ultra running almost epitomizes the mind over matter principle the most. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, let's say, mental strength, is it something that you've developed over time? Um, what type of techniques did you put in place like, to develop the power of the mind? Yeah, to be honest, I think it's probably just been like a little bit like almost little building blocks like over all the years and all the different things that I've done like sleeping in a ditch in the army and the pouring rain in a field um (laughs) to doing these races to doing Cape Town to comrades and you know they all kind of add to it and give you that experience to know that you can carry on and, and push yourself a little bit further um I don't really do any like like talking to like a like a mental coach or anything Mm -hmm. like that um I break I broke the days down for myself so every 10k I would see my support crew so I guess that was probably one mechanism of you know putting it down into smaller chunks I never thought of it as as I'm running to Scotland it was like cool 10 see you in 10k um and those little bite-sized chunks made it quite easy and then I broke that down again into like eating every 10, every 30 minutes, my watch would beep and drinking every 10 minutes. Again, my I had an alarm on my watch. And I think those little distractions probably is what kind of got me through and broke, broke the days down. But I don't really have any like 
groundbreaking like (laughs) (laughs) things that I do um I think it is just experience and trying so many like different random things and you know you go through the phase where you sit on a rock on the side of the road crying um but then a few minutes later you're okay again um and you know it's going to be all right (laughs) and you just keep adding those little building blocks every time you do something a little more stupid well i noticed how you broke it up and the little distractions you mentioned like you're going up that monster climb and a bloke called lloyd i think bumped or came next to you yeah Um, but you were you were almost more interested to talk to him um because of where you were physically um Mm. i don't know he was on the bike but you both really were using each other to distract from the situation um what was going on yeah that's like really interesting like when people came and ran with me i'm like they're like so do your legs hurt you're like yeah are you hungry you're like yeah (laughs) are you tired yes and I'm like just talk to me about like random crap like that was like almost more fun when someone came and just like you said like completely distracted you and told you about like their pet chihuahua and like a walk they went on you're like okay cool (laughs) and you had the there's like a four-year-old I think you're also joining you know things like that where Mm. you would have at that stage had you almost forgot what you were doing yeah um because everybody would have a, been focusing to make sure he doesn't fall over. Yeah. Um, but so the, cool. like, the pure this, distraction, I yeah. think. And in that climb situation, it was amazing because your crew was sitting there, I think, going, this is a monster hill. Um, but before you knew it, you were at the top because you were talking to somebody. Yeah. And to be fair, like, everyone was like, oh, it's so hilly. Like, you should go another way. That's not as hilly. But when I was doing this run, I was going so bloody slowly that I was actually going the same speed up a hill and down a hill that it actually didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Just got to grizz it out. And would you say you learn anything about yourself? I think just that, like, you're capable of more than you think you are. Um, you know, I think every time you do something like this, like when we did Cape Town to Comrades, yes, we, like, failed inverted commas like in what the original goal was but I think if I hadn't done that I probably wouldn't have been able to do this run and having done this run I now know like the next thing I do I'll be able to draw from those experiences and be able to use that to help fuel um the next thing that I do um and I think yeah it's just yeah, you kind of learn how to adapt to different situations and what you, you know, you learn little things like after five o'clock in the evening, like I didn't really want to talk to anyone. I'd been talking to people all day. Um, I kind of went into like this little dark patch and you kind of learn, okay, for the next time, I don't want people to come and run with me in the evening, but I would love you to come in the morning. So you learn little things like that as well. And that after eight days, you get blisters in your mouth and then mm-hmm. eating tomatoes is not a good idea. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> and you probably even learned things about the people who supported you um, and even having that time spent with your sister and mm. um, your brother. You were probably close already, but this probably even brought you closer. Yeah, like getting to like do something like that and have your family be part of it. Like my mum and dad and my other brother came to visit as well, like that's quite cool because often they don't if you do a race they don't really get to see everything that you're doing they just see you at a checkpoint like 20k into a race so yeah that that was really nice to be able well I don't think they enjoyed it they were just like what are you doing to yourself (laughs) can you stop please (laughs) I think they've learned now that that wasn't going to stop you though yeah no (laughs) telling me to stop is just going to make me keep on going so (laughs) Um, well, Carla, to finish, uh, I normally ask guests if they could give their younger self some advice, what would it be? Just to go and try stuff. Like, you never know if you can do something until you give it a go. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people that might think that you can never do an ultra, but unless you try it, you are never going to know. It's like liking oysters. Unless you eat one, you don't know if you're going to like it. So <laughs> just just give it a bash. Like, you've actually got nothing to lose. Absolutely. Well, 
Yeah, thanks so much for having a chat. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. It's been awesome to chat to you, Bring, bringing back some memories <laughs> of and, the pain. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, maybe we'll bump into each other if we can get to Comrades, or I wouldn't say this year, but definitely next year. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. we'll bump into each other there. I think there's going to be a few of us that will um, be able to bump in and actually get to meet each other face to face. Yeah, that would be awesome. 2022 reunion. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the Stimulate Run podcast is brought to you in partnership with Aqualite. Aqualite is a product which supports effective hydration through rapid absorption. It's formulated to replace electrolytes lost through sweat and is Australian owned and operated.